If you've been around um, or alive for, say, over 50 years, don't worry, I will not make you raise your hand, but you have watched America go through a radical cultural transformation. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. And one aspect of this transformation is also in how Americans self-perceive, how we view ourselves. So in 1950, Gallup, um, they asked uh, young people a question, are you an important person? In 1950, 12% of young people answered yes. In 2005, Gallup asked the same question, are you an important person? And 80% of young people said You better believe it. (laughs) American students uh, were asked the question, are Americans the best at math in the world? The majority believed Americans were the best in math globally when actually Americans ranked 36th in the world for math performance globally. South Koreans, ironically, marked themselves as the lowest even though they were ranked at the time the highest. In 1962, there were zero articles on self-esteem in education journals. 1992, 2,500 per year. Um, Psychologists have a test they give called the narcissist test and uh, here's what you do. You ask the question, um, does this apply to you? And here are a few of the questions. Um, I like to be the center of attention. (laughs) I usually show off if I get the chance because I believe I am extraordinary. (laughs) Some of you are like, yeah, that's basically me. Okay. I find it easy to manipulate people. Now, at this point, you're like, these are my children, right? Welcome to the cultural transformation. Someone should write a biography about me. (laughs) This is so great. In the last two decades, there's been a 36% increase in the mean score on the narcissism test. Time Magazine asked Americans if they believed they were in the top 1% of earners. Ironically, 19% of Americans believed they were in the top 1% of earners. Um, Sociologists tested executives about their own specific industries, and they asked them, after they tested them, how confident are you that you got the answers correct? So in the advertising industry, these executives were confident that they got 90% of the answers correct, when actually they got 60% of the answers wrong. The computer industry executives were the most bloated in their opinion of themselves. They guessed 95% of their answers were going to be correct, but actually they got 80% of their answers wrong on the very industry where they're on the front lines of leading. In 2006, 51% of 25-year-olds, so 25-year-olds, 51%, said that being famous was an important life goal. By the way, that's like 0.01%, right? That's who gets famous. 51%. Half as many said being very spiritual was an important life goal. Let's Let's just stop for a moment and agree on one thing. The United States of America is the global leader in self esteem. Can I get an amen on this one, right? We think we're amazing. And let's be honest, we are the best country in the entire world. But that aside, I'm sorry, I couldn't. There's so many people from different countries right now, and they're like throwing stuff in their brain at me. Uh, There's been a major shift, though, in how Americans view themselves. Over the last 50 years, massive cultural shifts in how we see ourselves, and we are more than ever, by culture and therefore by nurture, I want you to hear this, aggressive, hardworking, self-promoting, and very self-assured. Culturally, we are oriented as Americans towards victory, success, 
and conquering. Now here's the deal. This is our heart language. If you grew up here, this is what is inside of our souls. How could this not, this narcissism, this overcompensation, this bloated view of ourselves, how could it not massively impact our relationship with God, our spouses, our kids, our coworkers, and our family, right? This is huge. And it's into our culture and in the first century culture that the words of Matthew 5, 5 just rings so loud. Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Let's set some context up. Uh, We're in a series called the Beatitudes. Beatitude is a Latin word for blessed or happy. And the Beatitudes are the introduction to the first and most important and influential sermon Jesus ever gave, uh, and we will say the most important influential sermon ever given. And the Beatitudes are eight blessings that Jesus gives. And in the Beatitudes, Jesus has three big goals. Number one, uh, Jesus is empathizing with this group of people he's speaking to. He has his disciples, but there's this massive crowd of broke, poor, hungry, um, ill people who are grasping for any opportunity to touch Jesus or to be near him. And what happened is when people would meet with Jesus, they would leave feeling like this, that guy gets me. Uh, The second thing Jesus wanted to do was to bless. He wanted to increase human flourishing. Jesus is the designer of every aspect of our bodies and our souls. He's the designer of marriage and relationships and friendships. He knows exactly how we are created to thrive as image bearers. And he wants to bless humanity and show us the way of Christ, which is the way of the designer. And so he wants to bless them. He wants to increase human flourishing. And then finally, number three, a master teacher like Jesus must dismantle his audience, put them back together, and recalibrate them. Because everybody, myself and we included, walk into any teaching environment not having perfectly arrived. We need to be recalibrated. Some of us need to be pretty thoroughly dismantled. And Jesus, through each of these beatitudes, is going to dismantle their wrong ideas and put them back together in the image of of God. So point number one in your notes is empathize. Are the meek weak? Now, I was really proud of this one. I'm going to be honest. I wanted to um, say something like, are the meek weak? No, they're sweet or something like that. I just want to get some rhyming going. Some of you will say technically they don't rhyme. Well, rappers don't pay attention to that, so I don't either. Okay. <laughs> Meekness is a word massively misunderstood in our culture. If I were to say to you guys, how many of you want to be meek? very few of you would raise your hands. And even if you did raise your hands, I bet upon probing what the Bible means by meekness is not necessarily what you mean by meekness. And so what I want to do is I want to just help you look at some of the different dimensions of weakness, and then we're going to define it. So number one, meekness is not weakness. It is not weakness through Passivity. When we think about meekness, we often think about the passive person who doesn't say hard things or doesn't say their opinions. Can we just agree on something in the front end? Jesus was the meekest person that has ever lived nor ever will live. Okay, like, got that? Like, meekness is he's perfect. He's got it down, okay? So let me just give you uh, something that a meek person like Jesus would say. He would look at the Pharisees, and he would call them whitewashed tombs, sons of hell, blind fools, hypocrites, brood of vipers. When you think of a meek person, do you think about them doing those kind of things? 
and saying those kind of things. Apparently, whatever meekness is, meekness is not passivity. Meekness does not mean you don't have an opinion. Meekness does not mean you don't speak. There's something that we have to do in our brains, which is maybe dismantle some of our wrong notions of meekness. Weakness, meekness is not weakness through apathy, where you're never angry, you'd never care, ah, uh, whatever. Like, here's what I think meekness would have Jesus do with turning the tables over in the temple. Um, he sees these people who are upsetting God, misusing money, uh, exploiting the poor, exploiting the sacrificial system. He comes into the temple and he says, um, excuse, excuse me, excuse me. Um, I'm about to gently turn this table over. Would you mind just taking um, some of your coins and produce and products? Would you just move them over here so I could like gently turn this over and make a point, right? Is that what he does? He walks in, really angry, flips over, open the tables, money goes everywhere, people are frustrated. Who does this guy think he is? And somehow in this moment, Jesus has not one ounce of lack of meekness. Weak meekness is not apathy. Number three, meekness is not silence, where you're always quiet. I mean, last time I checked, Jesus talked a lot. Most people see meekness as, I'm never going to share my opinion, I'm a doormat, you get to walk all over me. Meekness is seen culturally as effeminate and soft and non-assertive. I'm just going to put this out there. Um, that does not strike me as anything like Jesus when we read the scriptures. He is a lot more dynamic, a lot more passionate. I don't sense passivity, apathy, or silence when I interact with Jesus. So let's, let's talk about some things that we know about meekness in scripture. So number one, um, to be meek uh, it is the opposite of wickedness. So in fact, when Jesus um, shares with us this beatitude, it comes from Psalm 37, chapter 10 and 11. And Psalm 37, 10 says this, in just a little while, the wicked, and you're gonna see the wicked are gonna be contrasted directly with the meek. The wicked will be no more, though you look carefully at his place. And here's what the, here's what the meek are saying. Why, when I look at the wicked, are they prospering? Are they rich? Are they powerful? Are they taking over tribes and nations? And so you're looking with confusion at why the wicked are doing what they do and why they're succeeding. He will not be there, is what the psalmist says. But the meek, in contrast, they shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Whatever meekness is, the opposite of it is, is wickedness, which means every one of us in this room we want, we want to figure out what is this meekness thing and how do I incorporate it into my life? Number two, meekness is a decision. It's a decision that requires control, which means if you are not meek, you have the capacity to choose meekness, whatever it is. And so Paul says in Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, Humility and meekness. Biblical meekness, it seems to be less about personality and more about decisions we make. Uh, number three, meekness, very simply, is Jesus. Uh, a synonym for meekness, by the way, in scripture, same Greek word, but different translation in the English would be gentleness. Um, oftentimes these are translated the same way. Uh, Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am Meek, I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is stepping back and saying this, I am meekness personified. 
So let's, let's define this. Let's figure out what this is. Here's the most basic definition of meekness that we can do when we aggregate all this together. Meekness is strength under control for good. It is strength under control for good. It is where one yields strength for the benefit of another. Uh, the word yield actually has been in my brain all week long. It's when you could go, but you don't for the benefit or the good or the priority of somebody else. Uh, biblical meekness requires three things. Number one, it requires self-control. It requires um, you saying no to your rights and your power and your privileges and saying no, holding them back so that other people can have them. It requires self-control. And we as image bearers have high capacity for self-control. Uh, number two, it requires a right view of yourself. Meekness must believe this. I am not the most important person in the world. Other people are equally as important as I am, if not more. Um, the moment you believe you are more important or better than somebody else, you will use your power, strength, position, influence, or authority to take, okay? Meekness believes this. You are just as important as me. And I, because I, I want your good, will use my strength, I will restrain it, and I will allow you to go. Meekness is when you could, but don't. I want to give you some illustrations. This, uh, this week I uh, was playing racquetball with Pastor Matt Young and Pastor Alex. You'll see Matt, he's gimping around on crutches because that's what happens when you play racquetball with me. Take you down. He was winning, so I had to do something about it. That was clearly the best route in my mind. Before we played racquetball, I was there a little bit earlier, and uh, there's a basketball court, and there was a bunch of high school students playing basketball. So I thought, I'll school these kids, I'll show them what's up. And so I go into the court, and I'm playing basketball with these guys. Well, these guys are arrogant, selfish, overcompensating, refuse to pass. All they want is the glory shot. They, they just, uh, like, I'm sitting here wide open, like I could win the game for them. And they're like, uh, they're throwing the ball up and missing everything. So the whole time, here's what I'm doing. I'm like, dude, great job, man. Hey, good pass. Hey, hey man, do a 